Welcome to the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and if you want to learn more about our church, look us up on Facebook or our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. Our sermon podcast is available in most places you'll find podcasts, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, and iHeartRadio. Subscribe to always get the next podcast. Over this week and next, we're looking at the importance of being resilient Christians and what it is that makes us resilient. We all want better lives, and resilience helps us through difficult times towards better days. Last week, we defined resilience, and we explored its importance. This week, I want us to look at what it means to have resilient Christianity. Resilience in life will find its best strength in resilient Christianity. And I want us to begin to wrestle with how to grow bomb-proof faith, bomb-proof Christianity. This week and next, we'll look at three keys. That is the key of faith, the key of accountability, and the key of obedience. All three of those together help build a bomb-proof Christianity. There's a light bulb in Livermore, California, that's now called the Centennial Light Bulb. And this Centennial Light was originally a 30-watt or perhaps even a 60-watt light bulb, but now it's very dim. It emits about the same light as a 4-watt nightlight. But here's something to know about this light bulb that is now reduced in wattage. It's a hand-blown carbon filament light bulb that was invented by a French engineer who filed the patent for the technology, and it was manufactured in Shelby, Ohio, by the Shelby Electric Company, and this particular light bulb that's burned from 30 or 60 watts all the way down to 4 was produced in Shelby, Ohio in the 1890s. Many light bulbs like it exist today and can be found functioning. But this particular light bulb was donated to the fire department in Livermore, Livermore California in 1901. And it's been working ever since, continuously. There was a week in the 1920s where it was out of power, and there was about 20 minutes where it was out when it was transferred to a permanent location because of its longevity. Evidence suggests that the bulb was hung in at least four different locations. It was originally hung in 1901 in a horse horse cart house, uh, firehouse, on L Street, and then it was moved to a garage in downtown Livermore and up to different locations wherever the fire department was. The unusual longevity of the light bulb was first noticed in 1972. I mean, I read that detail and I go, I've never had a light bulb last more than a few years, let alone all 1901 to 1972, but they noticed it. It had been working for a long time. And they wondered, is this the world's oldest working light bulb? They did some research, and they talked with General Electric, and they talked to the Guinness Book of World Records, and found and confirmed that it is the longest-lasting bulb in existence. They even wrote a book about it, A Million Hours of Service. In 2001, the bulb's 100th birthday was celebrated in a community, in the community with a barbecue and live music. Can you imagine celebrating the birthday of a light bulb? But 100 years is a long time of service. On the evening of May 20th, 2013, the general public witnessed through a dedicated webcam that the bulb had apparently burned out. The next morning, an electrician was called to confirm its status, and it was determined that the bulb had not burned out, but uh, the power supply had had a malfunction. So they hooked up a new power supply, 
and the bulb keeps on going. Yeah, the light's still going. 120 years old now here in 2021. Amazing. What a story of resilience. We love the unusual. We love stuff that stands out. And this light bulb sure does. And my goodness, it just keeps on going. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we had that sort of resilience for the things that we stood for? Resilience, as we talked about last week, is our ability to bounce back from the stresses of life. The ability to bounce back when things don't go as planned. Resilience is the ability to continue on with life in a healthy and productive way no matter what is thrown at you. Every person is going to have moments when their resilience is tested and when their ability to cope is stretched beyond its limit. Fortunately, resilience is a skill that is learned and one that is all the more powerful when developed from the Christian perspective. I know that the Christian faith can provide the ultimate source of resiliency. But how do we foster a Christian faith robust enough to endure and provide resiliency that we need? This world puts a constant pressure on the Christian, and the pressure is focused on getting a Christian to abandon their beliefs to stop having blind faith. So we need to build a bomb-proof faith, a resilient Christianity. So today, I want to invite you to have uh, to dig into the idea of faith, that first key to having uh, a resilient Christianity. We're to have faith, and we're ahead of a faith that trusts and empowers us and binds us to Jesus. We are called to have a robust understanding of faith. Unfortunately, modern culture has a paltry understanding of the word faith, and we need to address that. Because that's one of the problems we face. Modern faith is sometimes derived from our culture instead of from the Bible. I want to ask you to think about that word faith for a moment. How would you define the word faith? What does faith mean to you? And many today in our society would say, faith is believing in that which is unprovable. And others might say, well, faith is trust. And those things are true. They're good. But they're not a strong enough understanding of faith for the Christian. Let's look at the idea of faith as being uh, faith in believing the unprovable for a moment. That sounds good on the surface, right? It sounds like the biblical definition of faith. Well, I believe in what I can't prove. But that's not quite what the Bible says. We can find the most basic biblical definition of faith in Hebrews 11, chap- chapter 11, verse 1. It says this, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. It rings close to believing in the unprovable, but there's far more in the biblical definition. The word confidence is involved, as well as the word assurance. What we do not see in part in the part of the definition from the Bible about faith is that word unprovable. That's not there at all. But proof and the provable has become one of the cornerstones of our culture. And that is where the modern idea of faith is a problem for the Christian. Alistair McGrath, in his uh, book, Christian Theology, says this about the modern understanding of faith. He says, Since the time of the Enlightenment, the word faith has come to mean something like a lower form of knowledge, 
Many think of it as a partial knowledge characterized by a degree of uncertainty based on a lack of evidence or evidence which is inadequate to convince fully. Faith is seen as a firm commitment to a belief which is not adequately justified on the basis of the evidence available. In other words, in our society, faith will do, but faith is not best. Our culture says faith is the excuse for believing in something until we can prove it to be true. And so faith has become a second-class kind of knowledge. Our society has a preference for the things that can be proved. It has a love for what the scientific method can confirm. And I love science. Science is wonderful. But we also need faith. We all use it in our lives. I have faith that the food in the grocery store is priced fairly and it's safe to eat. I have to use faith and I have to use trust at some point. But our society leans heavily, heavily on that which is provable. And the problem comes when we see faith as that lower form of knowledge, as though faith should always be jettisoned when the facts come along. And when we do this, we set up our children to struggle. When they leave the home and go out on their own, if faith is just a second-class knowledge for them, well, then they're going to be challenged. They're going to have faith until someone puts pressure on them. And and we're setting up our children and ourselves for failure because there's always somebody out there who's certain that they can prove otherwise than what faith in the Bible says. And sometimes we can send a mixed message about faith in the Bible. I love it when archaeology and science affirm the claims of the Bible. We need more and more of that. But when we spend our time proving the truth of the Bible, we can inadvertently send the message that where there is proof, there is no need for faith. The thing is, is if you're a Christian, you will always need faith. As long as you walk this earth, you will need faith. Alistair McGrath proposes that faith is much bigger than just simply believing the unpro- believing in what cannot be proved. In fact, I don't think he would be very comfortable with saying faith is believing in that which cannot be proved. But he proposes that faith is believing in what we cannot see and being hopeful and being assured of it. But he also says that faith has two other dimensions that we need to consider. Faith is how the things of God may be known to us. And faith is how salvation may be grasped. So faith is believing in what is unknown, what we cannot see. But it's also how we can know. And it's how we are saved. It actually does something. So let's talk about those two dimensions for a moment. Let's start with faith as knowledge. We live in a world that loves proof. And as I said earlier, we have a tendency to value what we can prove. The problem is is that sin and the sin nature has taken away from us the ability to see God clearly, the ability to draw near to him, to prove him. Sin has created a great gulf between us and God, and so we no longer have the capability to see him clearly. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 23 and 24 affirm this. Paul is writing, Paul the Apostle, and he says, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. In other words, Jesus is a stumbling block to those who refuse to embrace faith. They won't be able to to see Jesus. Jesus will be elusive to them if they will not embrace faith. 
They're only willing to trust what they can see. But something else is happening here. Faith has to do with how we know and understand the things of God. When we uh, respond to the call of God and have faith, then the power of God and the wisdom of God becomes known to us. Think again of that definition of faith from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, that says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us that the Christian faith starts with realizing there are limitations to what we can see. I don't know that many of us think of that. Christian faith starts with realizing that there are limitations to what we can see, but despite those limitations, we have confidence in God and assurance of His promises. Thomas Aquinas, one of the church's great thinkers and philosophers, grabbed onto this idea. He understood that faith was necessary for understanding, for knowledge. He knew that there was much that we could understand. He knew that there was much that we could learn with human reason and logic, but that the knowledge of God was beyond human reason. But that's not. But to say that God goes beyond reason, Aquinas would say, does not mean that God is unreasonable, but that he's beyond our capabilities to fully understand and explain. For Aquinas, this is where faith came in. And so he would look at a verse like 2 Corinthians chapter 5 or 7 that says, We live by faith, not by sight. And he would say there reaches a point where we need help. We need to engage an additional sense that transcends our normal facilities, our normal abilities. I have here with me a radio. I enjoy this radio. I've used it before. It's the wind-up radio in my hands. And as with most radios in our home, it's missing something. A number of years ago, the antenna broke off, that little metal rod that extends up and assists the radio in picking up signals. Yes, it can still get stations without the antenna, but when it had the antenna attached, it got those stations much easier. And faith is the antenna, antenna that tunes us into the knowledge of God. It takes what we cannot see on our own and makes it known to us. Here's another example to think of. If I had a jar of water from a pond here in my hand, let's say I had a jar and in it was water from a, a little pond, and it looked clear to you. If I offered it to you to drink, perhaps you wouldn't take it. Perhaps you'd say, no, nah, I don't want to drink that water, because you know there are things in pond water that cannot be seen by the human eye. But add a microscope, and all of a sudden, microbes would be revealed. Little plants would be revealed. All kinds of things that you wouldn't want to drink would be revealed. We're fine with using a microscope to learn things that we can't see with our human eye. We should also see faith as a tool that allows us to see and know God in ways that we otherwise cannot. So faith isn't just blind belief. Faith is the antenna. Faith is the microscope. Faith is the tool, the object, the, the device that allows us to know God and to draw near to him. Speak to any person who's followed Jesus for a long time. Have a conversation about with them, and you will find that they see the world differently than those around them because they have lived their lives with the antenna of faith. They can see God in ways that most people cannot. St. Augustine said this, God does not expect us to submit our faith to him without reason, but the very limits of our reason make faith a necessity. Augustine also said this, 
Understanding is the reward of faith. Therefore seek not to understand that thou mayest believe, but believe that thou mayest understand. Our world claims that faith is a lesser form of knowledge, that it is to be replaced any time we can prove with facts. But faith is not something to be proven or disproven. Faith is not just a blind leap, though it may start that way. Faith is the mechanism or the way, the tool, the device by which we can know God. Faith is our microscope. It is our antenna. It is our window into the knowledge of God. Faith is how we know God, and it is how we are to be saved. That's the second part I want to talk about. That second dimension of faith is faith comes as an instrument of salvation. Genesis 15.6 says this, Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abram's belief is captured in this phrase by the Hebrew word emeth. It's the word most commonly and closely associated with the Greek word for faith, which is pistis. Interestingly enough, emeth at its core means truth, steadfastness. It often shows up in a form pronounced emen. And, you know, you might hear that word emen and go, I think that sounds like something else. Because there's an untranslated Hebrew word meaning amen or that's, that is amen, that has a meaning of, yes, I agree, this is true. So that word emeth is related to the word amen, about truth. Abraham believed, that is, he saw as true the Lord. He saw that he was steadfast. He believed it. He said, this is true. The Lord is true. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham's faith led to righteousness. It led to salvation. Say, we say, as Protestants, that we're saved by faith alone. That salvation is acquired by faith in Jesus Christ and his redemptive work on the cross. This is more than just believing in that which is unprovable. There is a salvation work that happens in Faith, it is the device that leads to salvation. Ephesians 2.8 says this, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not for your, from yourselves, it is the gift of God. So it's not something that we necessarily do, it's not something we earn, and yet somehow, grace works out salvation through faith. Faith is the mechanism by which salvation is worked into us. By grace we're saved, but it's through faith. Grace saves us, but faith unlocks that grace and welcomes grace into our lives. The great reformer Martin Luther had a huge impact on our understanding of faith, and he defined faith with three components. And I think it's really worthwhile to look at these because it changes faith from simply being belief in the unknowable to something much more dynamic, something much more wonderful, something so much more life-giving. Luther had three components, and the first one is this. He said, first, faith is personal. That is, faith is beyond just knowing history and facts and, and the information. He would say faith, which is in content of the his history, it's uh, if you want to believe in the reliability of the Gospels, that sort of faith is not saving faith. You can affirm the, histor the history of the Gospels, you can affirm their facts and not be saved. The facts and details are not sufficient for true Christian faith. 
Saving faith concerns believing and trusting that Christ was born for us personally and has accomplished for us the work of salvation. We can believe the truth of the, go- of the gospel accounts, but we have to have a faith that is personal, connecting us to Christ. Romans 5.1 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith creates relationship. It is personal between us and God, between us and Jesus, between us and the Holy Spirit. The second part of Martin Luther's description of faith is that faith concerns trust in the promises of God. That is to say, faith requires trust that leads to action. Martin Luther said this, everything depends upon faith. The person who does not have faith is like someone who has to cross the sea, but is so frightened that he does not trust the ship. And so he stays where he is and is never saved because he will not get on board and cross over. Faith is not merely believing that something is true. It is being prepared to act upon that belief and relying on it. It's trust that comes from the faith that, that turns into action and obedience. James chapter 2 verses 14 and 18 highlight this. Chapter, verse 14 says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? And verse 18 says, But someone will say, You have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. The Bible, here's a quote from A.W. Tozer, I love this. The Bible recognizes no faith that does not lead to obedience, nor does it recognize any obedience that does not spring forth from faith. The two are opposite sides of the same coin. Martin Luther said, faith must have trust, must have action in it to be effective. Trust in the promises of God. So what are we we being asked to trust? I just said it, the promises of God, yeah? It's about being prepared to put one's trust in in God and in the integrity and faithfulness of God who made those promises to us. Faith is only as strong as the one that we believe in and trust in. I think that's something for us to really think about and grab a hold of. Faith is only as strong as the one in whom we believe in and trust. So many times we say, well, I've just got to have more faith. I've, I've, got to have, I've got to believe harder. I've got to be more intense about my faith. Well, faith's strength does not come from us. That's incredibly important for us to grasp onto. The power of faith is not dependent on you or me. The power behind faith is dependent upon God. We trust in Him. He is the one who is responsible to be reliable. Think of it this way. If we've got a plumbing leak in the Walker household, I can put my faith in me to repair the plumbing problem, or I can put my faith in a plumber. I can trust myself all day long. I can say, I know I can do it. But that doesn't make me able to fix the plumbing problem because I have no mechanical ability at all. But if I trust one who is able and invite them in and allow them to do the work, that plumber, he can take care of it. My trust opens the door to get things started. The skill of the one that I trust carries out the work. Alistair McGrath says this, It is pointless to trust passionately in someone who is not worthy of trust. And we are told over and over in the Word of God that God is worthy, and He alone is worthy. Where are you putting your trust? Where do you put your trust? Is it 
And where you put your trust is where your faith is located. Beware of putting your faith anywhere else, putting your trust anywhere else but in God. And we live in a time when it's so easy to put our trust in in so many of the things that are happening in our society. And as soon as we do that, we are led astray. That's not how faith works. A third attribute of Martin Luther's description of faith, he says that faith unites the believer to Christ. Now you might be going, well, of course faith unites us to Christ. You need to have faith to be saved, right? Okay. But he describes it this way. Faith is not the assent to abstract sets of doctrines. You're not just saying, well, I believe God is true and real. Martin Luther said, you know, faith is part of a covenant. Faith is a wedding ring that binds the whole person to God. And that leads in turn to a real and personal presence of Christ in the believer. Romans 1.17 says, For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. We are bound to Christ by faith. We live by faith. Faith is what ties it all together from first to last. And I love that picture. Faith is the wedding ring of the relationship of a believer to Jesus. It binds us. Faith isn't just some lower form of knowledge. Faith isn't just something that we embrace until we get facts. Faith is the wedding ring that binds us to Christ. I'll begin to draw things to a close here. and I, I love this little quote from John Polkinghorne. He was a leading theoretical physic- physicist in England in uh, He wasn't necessarily a believer, but he spent the end of his life examining Christian theology. And he said this, Faith is not a question of shutting one's eyes and gritting one's teeth and believing the impossible. Faith involves a leap, but a leap into the light rather than into the dark. How do you see faith? Do you see it as jumping into the light? Or do you see it as just something you're supposed to do and hope that everything turns out okay? It's a jump into the light. It's a jump into Christ. It's the way by which we can know God, and it's the way by which we can be saved. It's so much more than just blind belief. Hopefully, you will now have a bigger understanding of faith, something that will build resilience Because there are times when blind belief just doesn't cut it. We need faith, the action of faith in our lives. The action that binds us to Christ, like a wedding ring. The action that draws us to the knowledge of God. Yes, faith is the certainty of what we hope for and the assurance of what we cannot see. But faith also becomes our sight. It is the binding glue of our relationship with God. So when someone says to you, faith is not a basis for believing in truth, now you can say, ah, yeah, it is. And let me share you my story on how God has revealed himself to me through faith. Faith in this regard becomes a strong support of resilient Christianity. We no longer have to worry about how we react when life pokes holes in our understanding. Faith is our response and our reaction. It is the action of trust in God. Let's pray. Lord, increase our faith. 
Let us not be content with faith until we can trade it for proof, but let faith help us in all of life. And let us have a faith that allows us to know you better and to see you more clearly. Help us to have faith in you that leads to obedience. And help us in faith to be bound closer and closer to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with Jesus.